before getting uh, straight in this morning to the text, this is the only place that this exact um, story is found in the Bible. Luke is the only one that records it. And I'm reminded of John, one of the things he said at the very end of, of the Gospel of John was that really had we written everything that Jesus did, you couldn't have contained it in all the, in all the books of the world. And that's probably... Um, you know, hyperbole, but the point was is that we've only scratched the surface really in our recording to you of the things that we've witnessed Jesus do. There's a whole lot more. And when I find stories like this, which I find incredibly significant as we dig into it this morning, I do find it fascinating that of, it's, it's almost as if the writers, they just didn't know where to stop, right? Uh, do we record everything? And I look at this and I'm surprised Luke's the only one that recorded this story. Uh, but it is a significant story this morning uh, in a lot of ways, and let's dig into it and just look at what I'm going to call 10 lessons of the 10 lepers. The first thing I want us to notice this morning is that Christ will come to where you are. We've got a, a group of lepers that are in great need, and I'm going to deal with leprosy here in a moment, so I'm not going to say much about it in the introduction, but these gentlemen were in need. They were in a really bad place in their life. It was as if things were hopeless. It was too late. They were ruined. Their lives were over. They were just waiting to die. And in that state of hopelessness, in that state of isolation, we see that Jesus came to where they were. And we find this truth from, from the beginning to the end of scriptures that God comes to where we are. We can't get to where He is. He comes to where we are. The irony this morning is that every person under the sound of my voice, in one way or another, the Lord had a hand in putting you right where you're at. And while often it seems like we're coming to Him, or we're doing what we can to get to Jesus, He comes to where we are. Whatever need you're facing this morning that you feel is too significant, whatever thing in your life that you feel is too far gone, too hopeless, I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit will quicken your spirit, bring some hope to life in your heart, and you will see that it's never too late for anybody and that Christ is willing to come to where you are. Quick little rabbit trail here. I think it's important for us as Christians to understand we have a responsibility to be going to where people are as well. Yeah, you need to invite people to church. I think that's a great thing for them to be able to come and hear the Word of God preached. This is a really wonderful place to invite people to come. But this, it's almost as if in our Christian faith, this is the extent of what we do with people. We invite them to church, invite them to church, invite them to church, and hope that they come here and hope that they come here to experience you know, the presence of the Lord. We have got to be willing to go to where people are, engage in the lives of people where they are, and reach people where they are the same way that Jesus did for these lepers. And I think about my life. I think about where I was in the darkest days of my life, how God Himself began to pursue me 
and, and I would say literally came to where I was. No, I didn't see a physical man walk in and say, hey, I'm Jesus. But I'm telling you, in the darkest hours of my life, all of a sudden, I'm starting to think about hell. I'm starting to get this hunger inside of me to find out if the Bible's true. All of a sudden, bam, there's a Bible there that I've had for four years and never opened once. I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, God orchestrated it. And He came to me in my pain, in my struggle. He came to where I was. And there are multitudes here this morning that will tell you the same thing. Number one, you need to know Christ will come to where you are. Number two, you need to know the Lord is never too tired to heal us. He is never too tired to heal us. Wednesday night I preached on John chapter 4 and Jesus is wearied and, and takes a, a time to take a, a break at the well. And there he has this encounter with the Samaritan woman. One of the things that I find significant about John chapter 4 is that it actually tells us that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And so he took a seat. Sometimes it's strange for me to see Christ in his humanity as a man that got tired and weary and just needed a break. Something else I have found throughout the years to be encouraging is that when you look at what happened in John chapter 4, Jesus talks to this woman. He brings her to faith. He transforms her life. She goes and tells all the people of, Samaria, of the area, Sakaar, I think it was, the, the city of Samaria that she was in. She goes and tells all the people there's a great revival that breaks out. You know, you know how it all started? With tired Jesus sitting down just having a conversation. And it's helped me to know, I don't, I, I'm the guy, I like to have a lot of energy, I want to be really engaged, but it's helped me to know I don't always have to be in order for God to do something big. We just have to be willing to engage and share the gospel and teach the truth and, and be willing to push past the tired at times, push past being weary. And here's what you need to see this morning, is that Jesus is never too weary for you. He's coming into town, he's on his journey to Jerusalem. Um, the emotional stress, obviously, of knowing he's nearing the end of his life. His disciples are still arguing about stupid stuff after following him for three years. Who's going to be the greatest? You know, Jesus, he wants to call fire down on these Samaritans. Jesus has got a lot going on in addition to simply the tiredness of walking and journeying all day. And the Bible tells us that as he's coming into this town, they start hollering at him from afar, asking for mercy. They don't wait for him to come into town. They don't wait for him to sit down and have a couple hours to, to collect himself and to rest. In this, As he's entering in this state, they're crying out for mercy. And here's what we see. Jesus answers immediately. You know, there are times I experience it as a pastor a lot. And on one hand, I appreciate that you all recognize I'm human. On the other hand, listen, we're to be following Jesus and helping at any cost. I do appreciate the fact you all recognize I'm human. And sometimes people are hesitant to reach out for help because they say, oh, you're so busy. You're, you got so much going on. I don't want to bother you. All of us have felt that at one point or another in a time when we needed help. We just needed help. And we really wanted to reach out to a pastor or a spiritual leader or somebody for help, but we didn't want to be a burden either. You need to know something this morning. 
you are never a burden to Jesus. And he is never too tired to help. He is never too weary to help us. There will be times in your life it's going to feel like there's nobody I can go to. That might be true sometimes from a human perspective, but you can always go to Jesus. Number three this morning, I want you to notice we're never too far gone for the Lord to heal us. You know, there's some that's thinking, well, I know that God's willing to give me time, but it's pointless because I'm too far gone. These lepers, especially 2,000 years ago, this was an incurable disease for the most part. There was no real remedy. It required supernatural intervention. Leprosy was pretty much a death warrant. It spread as well. It was contagious. And so once you got leprosy, it was a terrible deal. You needed to be quarantined for life. It was a goodbye to your wife, goodbye to your children. This is why we saw lepers often uh, came together in colonies or clusters because it was the only personal interaction they could have was with other lepers who were all dying of the same disease. The point being this, it felt like it was too late for all of these men. But the marvelous truth is the moment that Jesus showed up, everything changes. You are never too far gone. In my spirit, I feel like I need to say that ten times over. So that it's not just words. You are never too far gone for the Lord to meet your need. You are never too far gone for God to heal you. You are never too far for Jesus to reach you. The devil wants you to believe that at times. When you fail, when you fall, when you've somehow ended up in a place that you never wanted to be, the devil wants you to believe you've gone too far for God to do anything for you. Nothing could be further from the truth. You cannot outrun God. Jonah tried it. He tried it. And what did Jonah say? Basically, it doesn't matter where I go. If I go to the the, the ends of the earth, you're there. If I go to the depths of the ocean, you're there. The psalmist said the same basic thing, that God will meet us wherever we are at. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You've been counting yourself out. You've been feeling like, you know, there's no way God could ever do anything great in your life anymore. It's plan B, plan C, plan D. Some of you are working on plan K. It doesn't matter. You need to know that God can meet you right now, right where you're at, and do something in your life that changes it all. You are never too far gone for God. The fourth lesson that we learned this morning. Leprosy represents the universal disease of sin. And I want us to look a little bit at leprosy. It really represents the universal disease of sin. Leprosy is deeper than the skin. Leprosy is a problem that originates within and eventually it starts showing up on the outside. The skin begins rotting. It begins deteriorating. And then we know we got a problem. 
But by the time that it starts showing up, it's too late. This is the reality of sin. We are all born sinners. And a lot of times when we're young, we're not conscious of it. The types of sins that we may be doing when we're little, sometimes they're even treated as cute. Little Johnny always takes everybody's toys. He just loves trucks. Little so-and-so, she's full of sass. She just, she really likes to stand up to mom and dad. And it, it's almost as if we don't recognize the danger of sin. But at some point or another, it, it starts to show up in our lives in this way that's uncontrollable. And when we become conscious of it, it's too late to fix it. There's no going back. There's no changing it. And just like these men, we need a miracle. Something else that is very uh, symbolic of leprosy and sin is that leprosy spreads. It's not like you can contain it to the arm that it shows up on. Once it's in the blood, once it's in the body, once it starts causing the body to deteriorate, it starts showing up everywhere else. It ultimately overtakes the whole person until they die from it. This is the truth about sin. Sin is a word that we kind of want to stay away from in the modern day church. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to tell people they're sinners. I don't know why not. We're all sinners. It's not like it's a newsflash. It's not like it's only a certain group of people are sinners. We're all sinners. But what happens is, is we want to downplay the dangers of sin. Brothers and sisters, sin is a dangerous thing. It separates us from a holy God. Sin is not the, the act of you know, us making each other you know, uncomfortable or us saying something we shouldn't say to one another or us being mean to people. Sin is breaking the law of God. That's what sin is. Sin is when we raise a fist to heaven and say, I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to lie when I want to lie. I'm going to cheat when I want to cheat. I'm going to steal when I want to steal. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not following you, God. I'm going to be God. This is a serious thing. And you will find that when you begin to allow yourself the freedom to sin, it starts to spread. It's just a little thing. You will find that once you cross that line in your conscience of knowing that God has said you shouldn't be doing something, and you just decide, ah, I'm going to do it anyways. You start justifying it. You start making excuses for it. You look around at other people, well, that person sins. I know they do. And that person, I know what their sin is, and so this is the sin I'm going to allow in my life because others are doing the same as well. This is a really dangerous road. I'm telling you, it'll keep you from God. And if you are saved, 
it will absolutely hinder, I hesitate to use the word destroy, but it will absolutely hinder your spiritual power, your relationship with God when you start concealing sin and allowing sin to reign in your life because it spreads. There is no stopping it. It's like a cancer. We have got to see sin with a degree of seriousness that I just, in my heart, I feel like we haven't seen for a very long time in the church. We make excuses for it. We fumble around it. We play around it. We dance around it. And we try to convince one another that it's okay. It's not okay. Sin is destructive. Sin is the devil's game. The goal of Satan himself is to get you and I to sin against God. That's his goal. That's what he's after. It's a big deal. And it destroys from within. I cannot even put into a a number, and I mean that sincerely, I couldn't even estimate a number of people that I've watched try to walk the Christian life, try to follow the Lord, and I use the word try carefully, but they, in their mind and in their heart, they've tried Christianity. They've tried Jesus. They've tried the church thing. But if you get down to the truth, they never truly repented of all their sins. Going to hold on to a little bit here. Going to hold on to a little bit here. There's just a certain group of people in my life that are real important to me, and I would never be allowed in this group if I didn't compromise a little bit in the way I talk, the way I do things. And they wonder, these same people end up wondering why their spiritual journey is dry, it is barren. Often they show up in an atmosphere like this and see true worshipers worshiping God, and there's something in their spirit that can see it, and they know this is real. This is not a show. This is not fake. These men and women really are experiencing God. And they sit off from afar and think, what's wrong with me? I'm not experiencing that. I will tell you one of the primary reasons is because so many people choose to allow sin in their life. And we have got to get to the place that we see sin as the enemy of our soul. That's what it is. It is the enemy of your soul. And it is willing, sin is willing to start small if you're willing to let it start small. It don't have to get you to, you know, make the huge compromises yet. As long as somewhere in your mind... And in your heart, you have made the decision that some sin is okay. You're losing. And the devil has a foothold. And he'll let you take that little thing you feel comfortable with, and then once you feel real comfortable with that, and your life hasn't fallen apart, and everything's pretty good, he'll push you to do a little bit more. And then once you get real comfortable with a little bit more sin in your life, and you're looking around, it's like nobody really knows. Everybody here thinks I'm doing well. Now you're comfortable, take the next step. And you will find it will absolutely lead to the place of the destruction of your relationship with God. Sin is an absolutely serious disease that spreads. And as it spreads, it defiles.
The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 5 that we were dead in our trespasses. It's interesting that when somebody was diagnosed with leprosy in this era of time, they were considered or looked upon as dead. Even their garments had to be burned once they had been worn. The fifth lesson this morning, as we see how serious leprosy was, we see the situation that these men were in. And this is where the story gets good. We find that there is a remedy. There is an answer to our sin problem. There is an answer to whatever your need is this morning. There is a remedy. They lifted up their voices, being at a distance, and they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The one man capable of healing their disease showed up. And they cried out. They wanted to be changed. God is willing. In Luke chapter 5, Luke also records for us a situation of another man that needed healed. And he simply says to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing. And Jesus says these words right back to him, I am willing. I told you he's never too too tired to meet your need. He's never too tired to heal whatever it is that he's healed in your life. You also need to know he's willing. God is willing. May the Holy Spirit bring that truth to life in your heart even as I preach. God is willing. There are too many who feel and fear that yes, God is able, yes, He's all-powerful, but He doesn't really want to help me. Yes, He does. He loves you. He is a good Father who desires to help His children. He is a loving God who desires to save everybody. He is willing. So the question becomes, then why? If he's never too weary, if he's never too tired, if he is the remedy, if he is willing, if he comes to where we are, then why do so many people go unchanged? Verse, or number six, his word tells us where to go and what to do. In verse 14, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. His word changes everything. This was the word that healed these men. Now, I want you for a moment to just really wrap your mind around this scenario. Jesus didn't heal them right then. They cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're dying of a disease, and Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. The Bible tells us as they went, so later they were healed. One of the fascinating things about God is that for some reason, some way, He always the answer always requires faith. Always. 
Whether it was Elisha telling Naaman to go wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman's saying, well, that's a stupid idea. The Jordan is a nasty river. I got cleaner rivers back home. No! And Naaman goes off to his death until one of his young servants comes and says, hey, had he told you to give a million bucks, you would have given it, man. Just try it. And when Naaman obeys what God told him to do, you know the story, on the seventh time he comes up cleansed. Jesus at times would tell somebody to go you know, wash in the pool of Siloam. Never told anyone else to do it. Here's the point. God at times commands us to do things that don't always make sense to us. It would seem as if Jesus wasn't answering their question. It would seem as if He didn't really hear them right. They needed healed. They didn't need to go see a priest. But Jesus' answer was, get up from where you are and start going. Now here is the lesson this morning, brothers and sisters. The path to healing is real simple. The Word of God will tell you where to go and what to do. All too often, though, unlike these lepers, at least these lepers get up and go. All too often, though, we're stubborn. Like, no, I'm not going to go unless you explain to me how it's going to work. I'll go if I know it's going to work. I mean, if you can explain to me the rationale and guarantee me the result, I'm all in, man. But you want me to just start being faithful to God? Trusting Him and living for Him with no guarantee He's going to fix my marriage? No way. Oh, you want me just to start obeying God and being faithful to God and laying down my rights and making Him king with no guarantee it's going to fix my financial mess or change this pain in my life? No way. And so people stay in their pain and in their hurt and in their sorrow and in their state of being lost and away from God because they're not willing to follow the instructions that God gives them. You know, the Bible says this about the Word of God. It says that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You know what a lamp will show you? The next couple steps you need to take. That's about it. You know what a light will show you? A little bit of ways down the road. You want to know what's down the road further? You're going to have to start moving in the direction with the light that you have. The Bible says this is how the Word of God works. And I'm telling you, I've watched untold multitudes of people. They know exactly what God's telling them to do. They know. They know. But they're not willing to move forward until God explains to them the further steps and how it's going to work and where it's going to lead. God says, I don't work that way. Either you trust me or you don't. I will show you the next couple of steps. I will show you the direction. But if you want to be healed, you're going to have to go the way I'm telling you to go and trust me with it. I'll show you more when you take the steps I tell you to take. But until then, you're going to stay stuck right where you're at. Here's the light. Here's what you need to do. Do that first, and then I will show you more. Jesus spoke the word to these men that would bring their healing. If you want God's blessing in your life, you're going to have to do it God's way. You don't get to write the rules. 
we see that if we do what we can, God does what we can't. He gave him some instructions. Didn't make a lot of sense. But he gave them something they could do. Whether it's rolling the stone away for Lazarus. Whether it's washing in the pool of Siloam. Whether it's name and washing in the Jordan seven times. Whether it's the ten lepers going and showing themselves to the priest. The fact is this. God gives us instructions. And it's not those instructions that necessarily heal us. It is God that heals us as we are obedient to the instructions that he gives. Number seven this morning, the seventh lesson from the ten lepers. Most people will reject God even after he meets their needs. Now this is a heartbreaking lesson, but it is a reality of the scriptures. So, one comes back to worship, and you know what Jesus says? Where are the nine? All ten were healed, brothers and sisters. All ten. It wasn't just the one. All ten were healed, and only one comes back to give thanks. This is not a parable, by the way. This is an actual event recorded in history. These are real humans. They had names. We don't know who they were, but these men had names. And they are so, uh, so much a picture of mankind. Here is the truth. Everybody wants the blessings of God, but they don't want God. And here is the reality. It's a heartbreaking reality. Even after God meets the needs, we see about 9 out of 10 could care less. They got what they wanted, and they're on their way. You know, I have watched people uh, over the years, their life will be in an absolute mess. And they'll say, I want help, I want help, I don't want this anymore, I don't want this anymore. Really, they just want their world to quit spinning. But they don't want to change. And then in God's goodness and God's grace, God brings people into their life that can help the world quit spinning, help get a little stability under them, and once everything's better and everything's good, guess what? No change. There's no love for God, there's no real true thankfulness for what's happened, and the goal is now to go right back into the same way of living that got me here in the first time. I'm just going to be smarter about it. I'm going to manage my sin better. And though it's led me here over and over and over again, I think if I give her one more shot, somehow I can keep it from destroying me. It's insanity. It's insanity is what it is. Sin is destructive. It is deceitful. But we see that just because God meets somebody's needs, it doesn't mean they're going to change. And here's the beautiful thing about it. God still meets the needs. Man, that's awesome. God still meets the needs. But notice the question that Jesus asked right off the bat. Where are the other nine? Teaches us something about the heart of God. He expects something in return for His goodness and His faithfulness. He expects it. And the number of people 
who have absolutely refused to give God the worship that he deserves, it is an overwhelming number of people. And God is concerned about it, and God takes note of it. Most people will reject God even after he meets their needs. The reality is this, there will be an even greater judgment for those whom the Lord has touched. For those whom the Lord has made himself known to. And yet, they refuse to repent and follow him. That's what the Bible teaches us. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, the Lord says, Depart from me. I never knew you. You who work iniquity. In Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49, we have people calling him Lord. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Why? Why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? In other words, I'm not your Lord. You are. I'm not your God. You are. You don't obey me. You don't follow me. Why would you call me Lord? In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, we are told that for those who knew and departed from the truth, it'll be worse. In Luke chapter 12, verses 42 through 48, we are told that to whom much is given, much is required. This is the principle, brothers and sisters, while it is true that about 9 out of 10 won't really come back and worship the Lord and give the Lord their lives like they should, those nine out of ten will incur a stricter judgment and God expects us... I wouldn't use the word repay, but God expects us to respond to His love and His grace with true gratitude of turning to Him. Number eight this morning... The next lesson that we learn is that God still cares even if it is just one. Thank God that He does. I was one of the one. He cares even if it is just one. Don't grow discouraged with the multitudes who reject the love of God. Don't grow discouraged with the multitudes who come into contact with the goodness and the grace of God and yet squander what God has given them. Don't go discouraged by it because Christ Himself, He endured it and He still went for just one. Knowing that the other nine would be ungrateful, He still healed them. Knowing that He was going to bless this entire group of people and answer their prayer and that only one was going to come back, Jesus didn't say, well, it ain't worth it. What's the point? It's only 10%. It's only 1 out of 10. Sorry, guys, you're out of luck. There's a lot of reasons for this, but you need to understand something about the heart of God. I believe with all my heart, biblically, the Bible teaches us that Jesus would have went to the cross for just one. Now, he didn't go for just one. He went for all the sins, all the people of the world and whosoever uh, believes will be saved. But here's what the Bible teaches us. Jesus did say these words. He said, what shall it gain a man if he forfeits 
his own soul while gaining the world. He said you could gain the whole world. I mean, own it. The whole world. Every continent, every country, every city. You could own it. And whatever that value is, it does not equal the value of your individual one soul. So here we see God teaching us the value of the human soul. And when you see it that way, no wonder that he goes for just one. No wonder he leaves the 99 to find the one lost sheep. And brothers and sisters, when we see it that way, it'll also change the way that we see ministry. We'll quit getting discouraged when 9 out of 10 don't care. We'll quit getting discouraged when we pour our heart into people and 9 out of 10 just walk anyways. When we look at the one, I have been blessed, I mean blessed in my life of ministry to see a significant group of people be transformed and saved by the power of the gospel. But I do believe with all of my heart that had I did and do what I do for another 40 years and had I spent 60 years in ministry and poured my whole life into it and led one single person to Jesus Christ, it would have been worth the work. God cares even if it's just one. You know this morning you're that important to God. The devil don't want you to know it. The devil does not want you to believe that you are that important to God. You are on the authority of His own Word. You are. God loves you. You ever showed up and felt like there was 200, 250 people in this place and somehow God made the decision to talk to you only? Maybe He did. And yes, you are that important to God. God loves you this morning. Number nine. He has the power to save us. So in verse 19, Jesus says, Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well or whole is a word for that. It can literally be interpreted, your faith has saved you. You know, this man has already been healed of his physical disease. This is why he came back, fell down at Jesus' feet, and worshipped Him with a loud voice, giving praise to Him and thanking Him. This is why the man was there. He was already healed of his leprosy. So were the other nine. But Jesus tells him to rise that his faith has made him well or made him whole or saved him, depending on how you interpret that. What is Jesus dealing with here if the man was already cured of his leprosy? The answer is the cure of his sin. The absolute most important and significant need of any of our lives to be saved. And here's what you need to know. Not only did Jesus have the power to heal this man of leprosy, not only did Jesus have the power to give the word that would direct this man to his healing, he has the power to save. 
This morning, the Bible teaches us that there is no name given under heaven whereby men might be saved. There's only one name, Jesus Christ. There is no other name than Jesus Christ given where men might be saved. It is Him and in Him alone. And you need to know this morning, He has the power to save you. Whatever the need. First of all, to the lost. You might be here this morning and you are not saved. You need to know straight out, Jesus has the power to save you. He has the power to do it. He has the power to change your heart. He has the power to change the direction of your life. He has the power to wipe away your sins. He has the power to wash your black heart and make it white as snow. He has the power to save you. Don't you believe the lie of the devil who wants you to think you're the one or one of the few that can't be saved? There's nobody that God can't save. There's nobody that the precious blood of Jesus is not sufficient for to cleanse your sins and make you new. To those of you that are saved, you know there are a lot of things that we need saved from over and over and over again. And I'm not talking about the salvation of our soul. I'm talking about the messes we get ourselves in sometimes as Christians. I'm talking about the place that sometimes our lives go and we're just... We're not dealing with sin like we need to. We allow bitter thoughts to take over. We allow pains and hurts to cause us to act in pain and hurt. We neglect the, the, the disciplines that God's told us to do. Sin's not always the little bad thing. Sometimes it's not doing the good things. The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. Yes, it is a sin to not be studying the Word of God. Now, I can't go and say it's a sin if you don't do it 15 minutes a day. It's a sin if you don't have four devotions a week. I'm not there. I'm not saying that. But you know if you're studying the Word of God or not. You know. You know if you're praying or not. And here's my point. There are a lot of times, even as a Christian, that we get ourselves in positions that if we're just honest about it, God's got to rescue us out of it. He has absolutely got to step in and save me once again. I'm not talking save my sin from hell. That's not what I mean. But I mean I need saved. I'm in a predicament. I'm in a mess. I've got myself here. No denying it. But God, I can't get myself out. I got myself here. I can't get myself out. And Here's the awesome thing you need to know this morning. No matter what type of hole you feel like you're in, God has the power to save you. Finally this morning, number 10, you alone are responsible for how you respond to Jesus. You alone will answer for how you respond to the Word this morning, for how you respond to God, for how you respond to Jesus You answer for you. When I look at this group of ten men, there are some questions that I have. I want you to try to enter the story with me because I think some of my um, 
view of how I think the story went, I think it's probably accurate. Scriptures don't record for us, so I'm kind of ad-libbing here. But here's what we do know. We had ten men with a death sentence on their life, congregating together, dying together, who were all healed together. Let's just start with that. Try to picture with me the event where the first man recognizes his skin is getting healthier and he's stronger. And he looks over and someone else is recognizing the same thing. I just want you to try to picture the time they were actually all healed. It had to be a time of shouting. It had to be a time of wonder. It had to be a time of absolute amazement. It had to be a time of realization their lives weren't over. I can go home to my wife and my kids. We're not going to die. One of them, the kind of outsider, says he's going to go back and talk to Jesus. What happened from there? Because I can't help but believe out of that nine, there's probably three or four others that kind of wanted to go back too. All of a sudden, my guess is their conversation probably got religious. The other nine were Jewish men. They had heard the rumors and the hatred for Jesus. And this is nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. He's on the way to Jerusalem. And they're like, you know what? We're really grateful for what he did. But we don't want to get in the mess of everything else that's going on right now. Uh, We just want to go home. You know, you go back and follow him, you might never make it home. And now we've got this pressure within the group to go the wrong way. But at one point or another, every individual man made up his mind, I'm going to keep going the way I'm going, and I'm not going back to worship Jesus. While it might have looked like a collective decision, everybody made their own. And there was one man that was brave enough to say, I don't care what y'all do, this is insane. I'm following Jesus. He did for me what nobody else could. He healed what nobody else could heal. He is God. He is God's Son He is the Messiah. There is nothing else to go to. There is nowhere else to run to. And he made up his mind to turn his back on his peers. We have no idea how long they've been living together. We have no idea the type of camaraderie they had built, but you got to believe it was something strong considering the situation they were in. He made up his mind to have enough courage and integrity to say, as for me... I am turning, folks, and I am going to worship Jesus. And at the end of life, all of us will give an account for the decision that we made as individuals. You are responsible for what you do with Jesus. It's not even a family decision. We don't all decide, are we all going to be Christians? Well, I decide I'm going to be a Christian, and I encourage my wife, challenge my wife, and lead my wife to do the same. And I do the same for my daughters and the same for my sons, but 
It is an individual decision this morning. So I ask the question, what decision have you made? What response have you made? You need to know God cares even if it's just you. You need to know God wants to meet your need this morning. You need to know His Word. It will tell you where to go and what to do. And most of the people under the sound of my voice, you actually know. You know. And you find yourself frustrated because you want God to tell you more. You want to know how it's going to work out. You want to understand the end before you're willing to start the journey. I plead with you this morning. I beg you this morning. That is not the way it works. And you need to know that God loves you. That's why He's given you any light at all. Because He loves you. And you need to trust Him this morning and follow Him. You're never too far gone for God. God's never too tired to meet your need. And as you very well might be conscious of in this exact moment, Christ will come to where you are. He will find a way to get a hold of your attention. He will come before you so that you have the opportunity to cry out once again, Lord, have mercy on me.